Hello. Welcome back to Move This World with Sarah, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning. For this episode, I sat down with Maya Anista-Smith, Executive Director of Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, and her funny, articulate, generous nine-year-old son, Hunter. Maya and Hunter talked about the ways they cultivate kindness and bravery in their day-to-day lives. We talked about destigmatizing mental health. And we shared our personal stories in the hope that others will see a potential path forward. You'll hear about Maya's husband, Dave, and their daughter, Logan, in these stories, too. I loved our conversation on the importance of vulnerability in parenting and letting our kids be sad when they're sad, letting them see us sad, and showing them the full range of our emotions as human beings. We talked about working to model the honesty and bravery we hope our kids can show in expressing their own feelings, that it's okay to not be okay. I'm especially inspired by the way Maya has bucked expectations and norms around motherhood and the way she has paid attention to herself and her own needs to be the best version of herself, both at work and at home. Imagine if we could all cultivate deep self-awareness in the face of society's alternate expectations. What a world that would be. I am so excited to be having a conversation with my dear friend, Maya Anista-Smith, and her really awesome nine-year-old son, Hunter. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us, Sarah. We're so excited to be here. I think this is our first podcast together, huh, Hunter? Yeah. So before we get started, let's take a moment to center ourselves and identify how we're feeling in this moment. Recognizing that it's early for you, Hunter, you've just woken up, and let's think about how we're feeling as if it were a piece of candy. So if I were to say how I'm feeling in this moment, I'm feeling like Skittles. I feel sweet. I feel excited. I feel colorful, hopeful, and a little bit sour and tart at the same time. Maya, how are you feeling? The first thing that comes to mind for me is one of those old school candies, the whatchamacallits. I feel a little bit scattered. I'm sure, Sarah, you can relate to those times when we balance work and parenting. Last night was our last night of the Las Vegas residency for this year. I'm like a little bit lost as to where I am and what's on my to-do list this morning. So it's a, a whatchamacallit, but the combination is actually really delicious as is being a working parent most days. So that's my candy. What about you, dude? I'm the yellow M&Ms because I'm happy because I got to see all my friends yesterday. Great. Thank you. So that centering exercise is just an opportunity for us all to be aware of the emotions that we're bringing into the conversation. It's helpful for me to know that, Maya, you're feeling a little scattered. And I'm so happy to know, Hunter, that you're feeling happy after the fun you had last night. So, my thank you for mentioning off the bat how you feel being a working parent. I am in solidarity as a working mom with two young girls at home. Here we are moving through the pandemic. I hesitate even saying on the other side of it, but moving through the pandemic, and we've had so many parents who have had to leave the workforce as a result of competing responsibilities. And now many of us are returning to the workforce or returning to offices, returning to work travel. You live a very travel-rich life. 
how do you integrate your work and your family? I'm not even going to say balance, but how do you integrate it? And what does that look like day to day for you and Hunter and the rest of your family? That's a great question. I think no two days look the same around here at the Smith household or at Born This Way Foundation. And what works one day absolutely does not work the next. I'm fortunate, just want to recognize the privilege and opportunity that I have because I'm very often able to bring my family along with me. So Hunter and Logan both have been all around the world with Lady Gaga, and I'm fortunate to have a really supportive partner. So I think the big things of what life looks like for me is that I carve out time for work the same way that I carve out time for life, right? So just like this podcast is on my schedule, Hunter's soccer practice is on my schedule, and reading with Logan is on my schedule. And so I try and really look at every day, every hour to see, am I being the best mom or executive director or wife or friend or whatever is being asked of me. Before the pandemic, I hadn't spent more than two weeks at home with the kids since they were born. And that sort of became the rhythm of our family. And I don't think anyone would have said that it wasn't working. I think it really was working for us. But spending so much time at home with the kids this past year and a half has really transformed, I think, how Dave and I work and how we'll continue to work and travel in the future. What do you think, Hunter, of mommy's work and the way that I travel? You travel way too much before COVID and for the first few months of COVID. We, like, never left the house. And you like that? Yeah. What do I do when I leave the house, like, to travel for work? We mostly go to New York. But what do I do? Like, what's my job? Help people in need. I also try and really communicate both with Dave and the kids about why I'm leaving. Because I think there's a lot of times when they're like, oh, you know, mommy's at a Lady Gaga concert. And that's probably hard to miss a soccer game because that's where they believe that I am. And so I try and talk to them about the organizations that Born This Way Foundation supports the mission that we have, which is to build a kinder and braver world and eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health. And I try and talk to them about the personal reasons I do the work. Hunter's met a lot of the young people that we work with so that hopefully they'll be proud of me one day to know that when I left, it was to build a kinder and braver world for them. So I understand, Maya, that you were the co-chair of this kindness campaign at Hunter's school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Thank you so much, Sarah, for asking about Be Kind 21. I know we're not supposed to have favorite campaigns, but I imagine you do as well with Move This World. But Be Kind 21 is for sure my favorite. We started it four years ago, and it was born out of the desire that I had for Hunter and Logan to be part of a kind community. Hunter and I always talk about how kindness isn't a one-time act, that kindness is what you do every day, how you show up. It's a muscle. It's a habit that we all need to exercise. And so Hunter was starting kindergarten and I met with his kindergarten teacher and we talked about how to include kindness in the community of Spring Hill Elementary. And the idea, as is always the idea, was we should ask the young people, right? We could talk a lot about what kindness looks like from our vantage point, but kindergartners know best. And so Hunter and his kindergarten class created a calendar for the first 21 days of school of kind acts that the parents, teachers, and students can do. 
And that one calendar at Spring Hill Elementary that Hunter created turned into a global campaign. This past year, we had almost 7 million people participate, resulting in over 143 million unique acts of kindness. So it is a core part of the work that the foundation does to make kindness cool. And Hunter, Lady Gaga and Cynthia and I are very grateful to you for starting it. Is there anything you want to say about Be Kind 21? Um, You said it all. I said it all. (laughs) What does it look like at Spring Hill? What Um, do you do there? Every morning, everybody goes to the calendar and checks what kind act it is. And if it's something easy, like asking someone if they need help, we just do that right away. What's your favorite kind act from Be Kind 21? Hold the door open for a stranger. Yeah. Mommy always loves to see him do that. It's so cute when we're at Starbucks and I'll like walk out the door and I'll look behind me and he's still there holding the door open. It's really sweet. Hunter, what are some of the ways that people have shown kindness to you? Well, there are people that showed kindness to me that showed me soccer on the playground. Before that, I was just kicking the ball against the wall. Then someone invited me to play soccer. That's so nice. And that felt so good inside, I can imagine. What about bravery? I know that's something else that you all talk a lot about, cultivating bravery. What does that look like in your family? Bravery means that if there's a bully bullying someone, you could stand up and that's being brave. Stand up to them. Yeah, we talk a lot in our family about bravery is both the action and the absence of actions. So Hunter and Dave, they really, they love adventure. They love, they love roller coasters and they love, you know, scary things and Logan and I less so. And so Logan and I always talk about that. It's brave to listen to the voice inside of you too, right? So it's brave for Hunter to try the things. And it's also brave for Logan to know that that's not for her and to, to stand steadfast in her no and her decision to not do things. And so we talk about bravery as um, listening to that voice inside of yourself. And also, like Hunter said, being able to stand up when you see something wrong around you, even if it's unpopular, even if you're the only one standing. Those are some of the ways that we talk about bravery around here. Being kind is important right now because... Some people lost their friends over COVID because they had to move or they just forgot because it was a long period of time. And being brave is like, if you have COVID, like you could be brave by fighting it inside and not give it up. Yeah. Maya, what would you say, given your perspective and the work that you're doing in all of the programs that Born This Way supports? I think to kids and adults alike, I would just remind folks that it's okay to not be okay. I was talking to a colleague of mine and we were talking about this period of time and she was referring to it as the panty. And I sort of (laughs) made light of that and I was laughing about it a little bit. And I asked her, I said, why are you calling it that? Thinking that she had made up a cutesy name. And she said, If I call it the pandemic and I sit with what we have survived through, and so many unfortunately have not survived, but what so many of us are surviving through and realize what it truly is and what it means for our history, it feels overwhelming. And so calling it a panty was my lighthearted way to just recognize what we've all been carrying. And that was just a really powerful reminder for me that 
as a parent, I don't feel like I ever have the chance to give up. I have a calling greater than myself that I wake up every morning for, but it is okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel depressed. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to not know how you're going to get through that day. And our work at the foundation is about reminding people that there are resources, that there's support, that there are relationships that are there to make sure that you not only survive, but that you're able to thrive. And I think Hunter's point about people being alone, people losing friends, people losing loved ones is a real thing. I think everybody, even the luckiest among us who haven't lost a family member, have lost a lot these past two years. And I think we've survived this time of overlapping and ongoing crises, right? It's just not just the pandemic, it's racism, it's climate change, it's all of these things. And so I would just remind people it's okay to not be okay and that we want people to stay. We want people to stay in this world. We want them to keep going. What would your sister say the Smith family motto is? Never give up. Never give up. Yeah. That's what we tell the kids when they're going through something hard. And I think that's what I would tell everybody who's listening today, that it's okay if you feel like you want to, but let's try and get through this together. I think it's an important point, you know, especially for parents feeling like, okay, I have to just survive. You know, there's no opportunity or space or time for me to acknowledge how hard this has all been because I got to put on my face. I got to be a parent today, and there's other people who are depending on me. Even what we did at the top of this conversation, naming how we were feeling and reflecting that through a candy, the process of even stepping back and saying, whoa, wait, how am I actually feeling right now? For so many of us, that's hard. Sure, we have to name and identify it, but even before that, finding the time to do that. And I think I've said often, I can't imagine a harder time to be a parent than the last, you know, almost two years of parenthood in the pandemic. When you talk about carving out intentional time with your family and carving out intentional time with work, where does taking care of yourself fit in as a leader, as a mother, as a friend, with all of these people looking to you, your children first and foremost, but then all of the other folks around, where does taking care of you fall and how do you do that? What does that look like? I'm so glad that we're joined here by Logan Smith. Hi, Logan. We have another guest. (laughs) Logan is six and she, I have an outdoor window to the backyard and she sees our puppy. We got a pandemic puppy, which is not one of the ways I take care of myself. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah, for bringing up self-care. I think we don't talk about that enough. And as a leader, I am unapologetic about self-care. It happened I think a little later than it should have. Sarah, when you and I worked together in Washington, D.C., we shared an office and I had this incredible assistant. His name was Nick. And I used to work all the time as happens in startup nonprofit world. And I told him that I needed to take a nap every once in a while. And we concocted this idea that in my schedule, he would write board meeting. But he and I knew (laughs) that it meant a nap. So every couple of weeks, a board meeting would pop up in my schedule and my whole staff would be like, ooh, why isn't a board meeting? But that meant nap. (laughs) 
And I deserve the nap. I certainly needed the nap. But I felt like as a young woman leader, I couldn't say that I needed to rest. I couldn't say that I needed to take care of myself. And so I was doing a disservice not only to myself, but to the team of young folks that worked with me who I didn't give a chance to watch me rest. And so I learned a really important lesson from that and from the way that I burnt out and the folks around me burnt out. And so now we talk often in our team meetings about me taking a nap or Cynthia taking a ballet class or Josh going to soul cycle and the work that it takes to keep doing this, especially as a parent. I just want to go back to one thing you mentioned about parents taking care of themselves and how hard it's been to be a parent these past two years. We did a piece of research at the foundation and, and you can find it at Born This Way Foundation, but we looked at parents and kids in the same home and we asked them how they felt like they were doing talking about mental health. And no surprise, the parents all gave themselves A pluses. They said, we're doing an incredible job talking about mental health. And the kids were like, actually, not so much. And the two reasons that the kids gave for their parents' inability to talk about mental health was number one, we weren't modeling the type of vulnerability that we were asking of our kids, right? So when Hunter's sad, I'm always like, Hunter, what's wrong? What's going on? Why are you sad? But I don't as often tell Hunter why I'm sad right? And obviously in age appropriate ways, we have to start having conversations about like our feelings and that's what Move This World does in such a powerful way. And then the second thing is we judge our kids even when we don't mean to, right? And I'm first generation American. And when I would have an issue in my high school class, my parents would listen politely, but then my mom would be like, but we immigrated from a communist country for you to come here and have this experience. So like, let's not complain, right? And she was trying to put it in context for me and help me find gratitude. But in that moment, she also judged me. So as parents, we really need to make sure that we're listening to our kids, that we're modeling the type of vulnerability that we're asking of them, and that we're not judging them when they share their emotions and their experiences. We'll see how it ends up. Hunter's nine, Logan's six, but that's what Dave and I are are trying to do. Hunter, how do you tell your mom and dad if you're not doing okay or if you're sad or you need some help? What does that look like? Like usually when I get home, I either play in my room or watch a show, but sometimes I don't do those things and then I know I'm sad and I don't know the reason. I think that's a really good point and for all of the parents listening, I think what Hunter's saying is that when your routine changes, when your habits change, when you're not doing what you usually like to do, and we talk about that in terms of both just like feeling sad and mental health distress, when the patterns of your behavior change. So I know if Hunter doesn't like bound in the house asking for a snack or if he's not like, can I play Roblox? I'm like, huh, maybe he wants to talk about something and maybe he doesn't have the words to say I want to talk about something, but the signal of his behavior change shows me that maybe we should have a chat. Well, I think it's amazing to know that that's okay and to not feel pressure. I think so many of us have felt at times the need to be positive and be optimistic, and sometimes it doesn't feel like we have a reason to be positive, and that's okay. And, you know, so much of what I appreciate about the work of the Born This Way Foundation is embracing conversations in mental health and embracing that we all as human beings feel the full range of emotions. We're not just 
happy or excited or positive all the time as leaders, as kids, as parents, as educators, as people. And we have to name that. You know, I love what you said about bravery being both action and inaction. And so much of what you say to Logan is that being brave is listening to yourself. And I read this article about your decision to return to work two weeks after having Logan, your second child. And my first reaction was, what incredible self-awareness to know yourself and know what you need to be healthy and happy as a mother, as a wife, as a leader, and to know what society would likely say in the face of returning to work two weeks postpartum. So can you just talk more about that? Because I think it's so uncharacteristic from what we hear from moms, women, and the workforce. Absolutely. I'll first say that folks should take what time they need for all of the important life transitions. And in mental health, what works for one person may not work for the other. But I do think that sharing what works for us and having these stories is one of the ways that we can destigmatize finding solutions. When Hunter was born, I immediately knew that something wasn't right beyond just sort of the sleeplessness and the learning curve. I quickly found out that I was suffering from pretty severe postpartum depression and he is truly my best friend in the world. And so to think of those dark days is a really difficult time for me. But upon reflection, I realized that my identity had been so closely connected to my professional life. And I sort of jumped into this unknown world and out of the known world. And postpartum depression and mental health is so much more complicated than just that, me boiling it down like that. But for me, it was the loss of an identity and the simultaneous addition of a new one that was just really overwhelming. And so I sought medical attention. I am fortunate to have partner that is incredibly supportive. And we have the privilege that got me the best care. And I felt okay within six months. But when I got pregnant again, it was sort of top of mind. I just really was scared of going back to this dark place. And I started to think about how I could set up my life and my community in a way that it would allow me to define my own roles and be who I wanted to be in the world and not what the world thought I should be, right? My employer at the time was super generous with maternity leave and they were super generous when they took my email address away from me as a way to say, really dive in, enjoy this time with your family. Someone else will check your email. And with the best intentions, removed this piece of myself. And so the second time around, I said, I want to keep both. I want to become a second-time mom. I want to remain an executive director. And I want to create a path that allows me to rest and to bond and to care for 
myself and my family, but also continue to care for the world, right? Because, and I'm sure this is the same for you, how I show up as a parent is the same way that I show up as an executive director. And if you try and take away one from the other, it's sort of, the puzzle comes apart a little bit because we do this work because we're parents, because of our kids, because of our communities. And so the second time around I did, I went back to, to work in a completely modified way, but took meetings with a a three-week-old Logan attached to me. She went on her first work trip at five weeks old to New York City. And and I'm trying to convince Dave now for a third baby because I think truly, like, (laughs) we would nail it this third time. Dave's the one who needs the convincing. (laughs) Yes. That's why we landed on a pandemic puppy. (laughs) I think that more than anything, talking about our challenges as parents, as leaders, is just so important because we spend so much time and energy looking like we have it figured out. We've edited the path behind us now, right? Like it looks so good. Look at our husbands, look at our kids, look at our careers, right? We've just like rewritten history in a way. And at least for me, I really want to be honest about the sacrifices and compromises and choices that allow me to do this work and that have led me here. There's so much pressure, especially on women, to be the best mother. This is what the image of an excellent mother looks like. This is what an excellent mother sounds like. Then there's also the image, obviously, of being a highly competent executive director. So for you to kind of buck the norm and buck the image and say, yeah, 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 I know that you all think I should take 12 weeks, whatever it is, of maternity leave, but I've done this before. I've been a mom. I know what I need. That takes, I mean, we've been talking a lot about bravery. That takes tremendous bravery, self-awareness and bravery. So what advice would you give to someone who sees these kind of societal norms or thinks they have to fit into an image or a certain path to give them the confidence to really forge their own way, knowing what they need for themselves? I think I'd say just what I say to Logan about listening to that voice inside of you. And even if it's unpopular, even if it's hard, or even if you don't know how the equation is going to turn out, that you know best what you need. I also just want to recognize that the choice that I had 12 weeks or two weeks, right? That is a privilege all too rare in today's world. And if we're Mm -hmm. talking about kindness and mental wellness, childcare is integral to mental health. Food security is integral to mental health, educational access. It's such an intersectional issue, and I'm hopeful that we can live in a world where the choices that I got to make are ones that everyone can make, and so just want to recognize that. But listening to that voice inside of you that's telling you this doesn't feel right, that's telling you that I need support, that's telling you that I need to go back to this, or this title doesn't feel right, or this community isn't that for me. I think that would be my best advice. And then also just knowing the resources that exist. If you or a loved one is struggling, Dave always tells this story, and he's really eager to talk to anyone and everyone whose partner is struggling with postpartum. Because he used to just Google, like, when will I get my wife back? He didn't know where to go. He didn't know who to talk to. He didn't know how to support me. And so he just listened and held me and listened to me cry and and did all of the right things. But I think, you know, at Born This Way, we have a a Get Help Now page. It's bornthisway.foundation slash get help now. But you never know when you're going to be with someone who's in crisis. 
and how to talk to them, how to have those difficult conversations, how to lean into those resources and, and connect them. Like it's a really important thing to not be fearful of bearing witness to someone's pain and someone's uncertainty. And so that'd be another piece of my advice. And so as we reintegrate in the pandemic and return to work and return to the office and return to travel-rich schedules where pre-pandemic you didn't spend more than two weeks home, how do we apply what we've learned in this time? You know, Hunter said what he loved about the pandemic is that you didn't leave the house and you didn't go anywhere. How do we apply these lessons in an opportunity to carve a new path or forge a new way forward, just like you did returning to work after two weeks with Logan? How do we build a new path in all different aspects of our life, whether that's our own emotional wellness and our own sustainability as leaders, as parents, as citizens? I think that's a great question. And I hope that one of the things that comes out of this time is that we abandon the I should, I have to, I must, right? Because to imagine that we could run organizations this way, that we could fundraise this way, that we could build teams this way, like the fact that we, the world could continue this way, hopefully has allowed people to make space for the different ways that people work in education, we're making space for the different ways that people learn. And so hopefully abandoning some of those preconceived notions about this is what work has to look like, and this is what parenting has to look like, and this is what learning has to look like, because that's what it's looked like for however long. So I'm hopeful that we give each other some flexibility and grace. And then one of the most beautiful things, I think the fact that we're wearing masks, right? that I'm fully vaccinated, my husband's fully vaccinated, we live in a place that has high vaccination rates, but I care not only about the health of my family, but we're in this together. So I'm wearing a mask to protect the person at Starbucks's grandma who I've never even met. But this mm -hmm. recognition and this like public display of being in it together, if we could do more of that, if we could recognize our interdependence and our ability to like collectively survive, hopefully there's other ways that we can support one another. I love that. And I've said from the beginning of the pandemic that wearing a mask feels like the ultimate demonstration of empathy. And when Sidel says to me like, oh, I, you know, why are we wearing a mask? I say, well, we're keeping other people safe. We're keeping other people healthy and really making it not about us, but the people around us and our community. Yeah. And what a great lesson to our kids, right? I'm fascinated to see how this is going to be studied and play out in the history books that our kids are learning from. But this idea that we were all in it together and we stayed home to help each other, you know, all of these different steps that our kids are taking. I think that empathy is the right word. And Hunter and Logan are already exponentially more aware of the world around them that I was and that I ever imagined that they would be. So I'm hopeful that good will come from that. A question for the families who may have some doubt or skepticism around not just the work that Born This Way Foundation is doing, but all of the conversations happening in our schools and in communities around racism, gender, sexual identities. There's been a wave of resistance in communities to some of these really important conversations. What would you say to those families who may have questions around 
the sensitivity of these topics and them showing up in their children's schools? When we talk about kindness, right, kindness is accepting and including people for who they are and for how they show up in the world. We just did a piece of research called Kindness is Action, and we found that introducing yourself using your pronouns is one of the most life-saving acts of kindness because it shows people that you are accepting them for however they are showing up in the world and who they are. And so we start every meeting, and Hunter and I can do it. So I'm Maya Smith. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. My name is Hunter Smith, and my pronouns are him, his, and he. Good job. So even those small acts, of seemingly small acts, right, of sharing your pronouns are such an important way to accept people, to include people, to see people. We know from our research around kindness that kindness isn't just this nice-to-have, mushy feeling, right, that it has profound impacts on a person's mental health and that there are certain groups of people that are less likely to experience kindness. So when you're less likely to experience kindness, what does that mean about how you show up in the world? What does that mean about what you believe to be true about the world? In our research, we know that folks who identify as female or LGBTQ report being less likely to be kind to themselves. And so in terms of kindness being both an external and internal driver, it's so, so essential that we don't shy away from these difficult conversations. We don't shy away from the ability to bring our true selves into our classrooms, into our workplaces. The impact of being included and accepted and seen and validated can do everything from put a smile on someone's face to save a person's life. And so it's essential that we don't gloss over the unique experiences that young people are having, that the families of those young people are having, of the issues that we're wrestling with in communities. And I think education is a place to learn and question and hear stories and ask questions. In the environment that Hunter and Logan go to school, I'm glad that they know what a pronoun is. I'm glad that Hunter and Logan at six and nine years old know how to introduce themselves that way. I don't know about you, Sarah, but that's not a conversation that I had at that age. And so I'm glad to see the way, the inclusive way that my kids are learning. And I'm hopeful that's going to just increase. And what about those who may truly resist this work? When they encounter a, a Born This Way Foundation program, what do you hope that they walk away with? What do you hope that they learn to maybe help them understand everything that you're saying as important? I hope they experienced kindness, right? I Like when Hunter talks about opening the door for folks, he doesn't know who he's opening the door for. He doesn't know if the person he's opening the door for agrees that Black Lives Matter like he does, right? He doesn't know anything about them. But by acting with kindness, by acting with inclusivity, by modeling acceptance, by listening non-judgmentally, by being those people ourselves and serving as examples to others, that's the best and only way, right? Like Hunter, we always talk about like, who can, who's the boss of Hunter? Me. Yeah, just Hunter, right? I thought you were going to say mom. <laughs> it's so funny because sometimes he'll hit me with that and I'll be like, Hunter, I said so. And he'll be like, I'm the boss of me, right? So it's a double-edged sword. But we can only control our own actions. And so by us acting 
with kind and inclusive and accepting intent in the world, we are inviting other people to do the same. I think that's the best parenting lesson I learned from my own mom. Hopefully that's the one of the parenting lessons all in part to our own kids is we could preach and lecture and judge and try and correct, or we could just be what we hope exists in the world and look for it and celebrate it when we find it in others. All of the work in kindness and bravery and social justice that you've learned from your mom, from both of your parents, but from your mom, what does that look like in your house? How do you and your family, when you have family time, cultivate kindness and bravery? What do we do piles of outside of your room? Our donations. So last month, maybe, Logan was looking for a Dumbo. She comes marching into our room. She's like, did you donate it? <laughs> so, so we do a lot of that. But what else? What do we do for kindness around here? Oh, we have the huge bin outside for food and then donate the food. Our house is like the grand central of kindness around here. We have these food donation bins for the food bank of Contra Costa and Solano counties. That's one. What else do we do around here for kindness? Oh, we decorated lunch bags and then gave it to kids at Oakland. Kids food basket. Kids food basket. Every year we sit down as a family and talk about where our donations go, right? And so Logan's really into animals, so she always asks to donate to animals. Last year you did soccer without borders because Hunter is a, a real big soccer player. So we try and include kids both in the tangible everyday acts of kindness, whether it's the food donations or looking through their toys and thinking about things they don't need anymore that could bring joy to another family. And then we also talk about the legacy of the good that we can leave in the world, right? And how everything that we have, you know, we look at it as abundance and our responsibility to, to pay it forward. That's so inspiring. And I hope that families who listen get ideas on ways that we can bring our values that are important to us that we hope to see in the world into our homes and into our everyday lives. It doesn't have to feel so big and intangible. It can be something as simple as decorating a brown bag or putting out a bin for perishables. Hunter, I know it's your day off, and I want to be sensitive to your time so that you can get on with your fun day, but I thought we could go ahead and close in a similar way to how we opened our conversation, just to allow us to ground ourselves, to acknowledge we just had a really robust discussion and you're going to go on with your day and have a fun day off. We're all going to move on to our various priorities. So let's take a moment and close by actually shutting our eyes if you feel comfortable. If you don't want to shut your eyes, you can just look to the ground beneath you. And let's take three deep breaths. And as we breathe, go ahead and identify one thing that you feel particularly grateful for in this moment. It could be a word, a phrase, a person, or idea, something that you're grateful for right now. Let's take a deep breath in and out. And a second breath in and out. And a third and final breath in and out. And when you're ready, open your eyes. 
And we'll just close with a quick circle of gratitude where we can each name that word or phrase or idea or person that we're feeling particularly grateful for right now. Hunter, do you want to go first? Yeah. I am feeling grateful for my sister because every time I want to play by myself, she knows I'm in a bad mood and uh, comes to my room just to play with me. Okay. So kind of her. That's really Thank you for sweet. sharing Peach. that. I was going to say you because I was sure you were going to say me. <laughs> Sarah, first, I'm really grateful to you. I think a lot of times we have to make the choice of parenting and work. And when we can sort of do both at once and parent and work in a way that's visible to everyone and most importantly to our kids, that's a real gift. So thank you for including me and Hunter in this conversation. And I'm grateful to you, Hunter, for doing this with me and always being up to talk about kindness. What about you, Sarah? I am grateful for solidarity and friendship. Similarly to what you said, Maya, I think it can feel very isolating being a working parent that cares deeply about multiple things and is holding multiple people and multiple responsibilities. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to have this discussion and to see your beautiful brilliant, funny son join us. It's such kind of an out-of-body experience to see life progressing in this way. And I feel really grateful and really proud. Thank you for having us and for the amazing work that you do. You are truly moving this world and making it okay for folks to feel and show how they feel. And it's, it's amazing. Thanks for listening to Move This World with me, Sarah Potler Lahane. Before you go, wherever you are right now, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and out. At Move This World, we know social and emotional wellness is necessary, relevant, and impacts our everyday lives at school, in our homes, at our workplaces, and in our relationships. The tools we need to develop are critical for our happiness and success as individuals and as communities. Together, we can create a world where everyone belongs. To explore more ways to move this world, visit us at movethisworld.com or follow us on Twitter at move underscore this world. If you liked this episode, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced by Jessica Altunian and Seaplane Armada. I cannot wait to move this world with you.